Well, we'll turn in our Bibles again to John chapter 3. John's Gospel, chapter 3. We previously looked at this passage, and especially in verse 5. Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Might I suggest that when you come to listen to this CD or podcast, you first look at the previous CD we did, You Must Be Born From Above. Because I think if we take the two together, we should get a fuller understanding and it would be better if you listen to them in sequence and together. And we promised ourselves that we would take another look at this passage when last we met together. And especially as perhaps how one or two of the major churches look at this particular verse. However, initially we will pick up the salient points which Jesus mentioned. There's so much could be said about this particular chapter. We haven't touched, for instance, on the verse which says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. The wind. A picture here of the Holy Spirit working in a man's heart. You know, no man can control the wind. It comes and it goes. You hear it. You see the evidence of it. But you cannot see the wind. And so the work of the Holy Spirit it comes down from above. And that's the work of a new birth in man's heart. Nothing of man's efforts, despite what some may say, whatever they think, it's solely a work of God. Nothing of the flesh. And in this respect also, if one says they are born from above or born again, it should be evidenced. It should be heard. And the evidence of it should be seen in that person's life. But let's read the first few verses of John chapter 3 once again. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, 
And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe, if I tell you of heavenly things? It's a very interesting chapter. And in this chapter, Jesus says, verily, verily, three times. This double expression is peculiar to John and his gospel. He uses it throughout the gospel 25 times in all. And it always precedes something very important, some very interesting statement. John 3, 3. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now this condition is a matter of extreme importance if one wants to enter or see the kingdom of God. This kingdom to which all true believers belong so how do we enter into the joys of that kingdom is of the utmost importance. However, sadly, there is much controversy as to what the means of entrance are and the qualifications for acceptance by God to enter his kingdom. But Jesus says, you must be born again. No exceptions. It's final, definite, no compromise. If you are born again, you enter God's kingdom. If you are not born again, you are not in his kingdom. That's it. No arguments. So, with that in mind, we must find out how to be born again. We saw that this phrase may be translated and is translated born from above. One and the same expression expressed in two separate ways. We must also remember that Jesus was speaking to a master of Israel. You know, the Jews were rightly proud of their heritage proud of being descendants of Abraham and if you go away back throughout the Old Testament you'll see that their genealogy was very important when the Jews for instance in, if you look at Ezra way back just before Nehemiah and before the Psalms the second chapter of Ezra 
some of the people had started coming back from the Babylonian captivity and they had come back with Ezra and eventually more came with Nehemiah. But some of the people who came back couldn't prove their genealogy. And more so, some of the priests couldn't do that either. And in the second chapter of Ezra, and the verses from 61, right through down for a few verses, we read of these priests, children of cause and others, and they sought to register among those that were reckoned by genealogy. But they were not found. Couldn't find their names. Therefore were they as polluted. Put from the priesthood. They were treated as outsiders. Because they couldn't prove their genealogy. And Zerubbabel decided that they would have to wait until God spoke through the Urim and Thummim as to whether they were part of the priesthood or not. So it was an important thing in Nicodemus's mind. Genealogy. So what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus in this verse was that his genealogy was not relevant to becoming a citizen of the new kingdom. You must become a new creation. You must be born again. You know, John opens his gospel with an important statement. John chapter 1 and looking from verse 9 to 13. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the light of the world who would come. And John had been sent to bear witness of that light. We said that he was the harbinger, the one who went before to declare the coming of the Son of God. And of the Lord Jesus, John says, that was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power, that the right to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. How? How did that come about? Which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. They were born of God. Those who would believe on Jesus, confess their sinfulness, and accept his wonderful salvation by faith, would be born again of God from above and become the sons of God the whole concept of God being in a father son relationship 
with Nicodemus was not altogether a foreign concept, but not in the same manner as we have in the New Testament. Speaking to the nation, God says in Deuteronomy 32 verse 6, Do ye thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is not he thy father that hath bought thee? Hath he not made thee and established thee? God speaking to the nation. He is thy father that hath bought thee. And again in Jeremiah 3.19. God speaking. How shall I put thee among the children and give thee a pleasant land, a goodly heritage of the hosts of nations? And I said, Thou shalt call me my father, and shalt not turn away from me. We read in Romans chapter 11, from verses 25 to 29, you'll see that this refers to a time when Israel will turn again to the Messiah, the real Messiah, and recognize him as their true Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. But in the New Testament, we have that relationship of becoming the sons of God for all through the new birth, by being born from above. Verse 4, Nicodemus queried this born-again statement and put an entirely earthly and human meaning to it. And Because of this, in verse 10, Jesus chides him. Art thou a master of Israel, and understandest not these things? You don't know these things. Jesus says in verse 5, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Nicodemus should have immediately been aware of all the types of washing foreshadowed within the Jewish teaching in passages like Ezekiel 36 verses 25 and 26 here's what it says then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness, from all your idols, will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. The stony heart of unbelief was going to be taken away, and a new heart into these people what a wonderful picture of the new birth a complete work of God a cleansing from all our filthiness and a new heart within us and a new spirit the Holy Spirit dwelling in each believer and what a wonderful picture of joy that is if you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, let Jesus come into your heart. 
Your sins he'll take away. Your night he'll turn to day. Your life he'll take and make it over anew. If you want joy, real joy, wonderful joy, let Jesus come into your heart. When I come to Christ, there is nothing I can bring. As top lady says in his beautiful hymn, Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy riven side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Not the labour of my hands can fulfil thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. There is nothing I can do except come as I am to Jesus. Nothing of man can save me. Nothing of self. Nothing by any sprinkling by a so-called priest. Nothing from a church. Nothing because of a so-called godparent swearing something on my behalf. Nothing. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves it is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest any man should boast. Romans eleven six, And if by grace then it is no more of works. Otherwise grace is no more grace. Now we must remember that there are whole churches and large proportions of some churches who say and maintain that baptism and regeneration are inseparable. They teach baptismal regeneration. And there are, on the other hand, those churches and bodies of Christians who deny this assertion. I've been looking at some comments on John 3 by J.C. Ryle. And his commentary on these verses we're discussing, with which many of his church fellow churchmen at his time and today would disagree. And at the end of his discussion on this chapter, he says, and I think this is very enlightening, in leaving the whole subject, there is one fact which I think deserves very serious consideration. Those churches of Christendom at the present day which distinctly maintain that all baptized persons are born of the Spirit are, as a general rule, the most corrupt churches in the world. Those bodies of Christians, on the other hand, which deny 
the inseparable connection of baptism and the new birth, are precisely those bodies which are most pure in faith and practice, and do most for the extension of the gospel in the world. This is a great fact which ought not to be forgotten. J.C. Ryle, he was the first Anglican Bishop of Liverpool, a man of great courage and great conviction. Although I would say we would not go along with some of his theology, in this particular passage and in this instance, he is wonderfully clear. Unlike many of his associates in their ministry of his time and their descendants today, he disassociates being born again from any hint of it referring to baptismal regeneration. And I'm going to read what he says on this particular uh, passage. It is clear, and this is the quotation, it is clear from St. John's first epistle that to be born again, born of the Spirit, or born of God means something much greater than baptism. The picture which the Apostle gives of a man who is born of God could certainly not be given of the man who is baptized. The true view of the expression I believe to be this. Being born again means that complete change of heart and character which is produced in a man by the Holy Ghost when he repents, believes on Christ and becomes a true Christian. It is a change which is frequently spoken of in the Bible. In Ezekiel it is called taking away the stony heart and giving a heart of flesh giving a new heart and putting within a new spirit. Ezekiel 11, 19 and Ezekiel 36, 26. In Acts it is called repentance and conversion. Acts 3, 19. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. In Romans it is called being alive from the dead. Romans 6.13 But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. In Corinthians it is called being a new Creature. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In Ephesians, it is called being quickened. Ephesians 2.1 And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. In Colossians it is called putting off the old man and putting on the new. 
Colossians 3, 9 and 10. Seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. In Titus, it is called the washing of regeneration. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness which ye have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. In Peter it is called being called out of darkness into light and being made partaker of the divine nature. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Second Peter 1 4 According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the, uh, the corruption that is in the world through lust. In John it is called passing from death to life. First John 3.14 We know that we have passed from death unto life. I believe that all these expressions come to the same thing in the end. They are all the same truth, only viewed from different sides. They all mean that mighty inward change of heart which our Lord here calls a new birth, and which John the Baptist foretold would specially characterize Messiah's kingdom. He was to baptize not with water, but with the Holy Ghost. Our Lord begins his address to Nicodemus by taking up his forerunner's prediction. He tells him that he must be born again or baptized with the Spirit. Human nature is so entirely corrupt, diseased and ruined by the fall that all who would be saved must be born again. No lesser change will suffice. They need nothing less than a new birth. That's the end of Bishop Ryle's quotation, and I think it sums it up quite well. But we must pose the question, are you born again? You may not like the expression, but Jesus said, if you wish to be part of his kingdom, you must be born again, no matter what you think. I believe that we have shown the meaning of being born of water and of the Spirit. That it is a work of God totally from above. Through the Holy Spirit 
by grace through faith. Now I did say we would sort of look and see what others perhaps taught and say about these verses. And I want to look just briefly at what the Anglicans teach. And I would say when we're looking at the Book of Common Prayer and various things in it, we must assume that the English there means what it says. There isn't any hidden meaning behind it. Children are taught the catechism in schools and elsewhere. I went to a school, which was an Anglican school, and the catechism was taught to the school children. A catechism is a summary of doctrine put in the form of question and answer. And by the questions being posed and the answers given, the knowledge is given to the child as to what is taught by the church. They start off by what is your name and my name is so and so and then who gave you this name. The answer to that question, who gave you this name, is in my baptism, wherein I was made a member of Christ, the child of God, and an inheritor of the kingdom of heaven. At his baptism, the child was given a name, and it said, In that baptism, I was made a member of Christ, the child of God, and an inheritor of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven, which we've been speaking about here in John chapter 3. The picture of the church of Jesus Christ is of a body of which all true believers are members. But this baby, being baptised, is made a member of that church by baptism. A member of the body of Christ, the church, by baptism. The child of God, that expression is not actually mentioned in the Bible, but we are told in John 1, Verse 13, as many as believed in him, in Jesus Christ, to them gave he the right or the power to become the sons of God. How? By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. It goes on to say that verse, which were born, not of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Those who were born of God, that's how they became the sons of God. But this baby, being baptised, is made the child of God through baptism. Going against John 1.13. And finally, this baby receives an inheritance in heaven. A member of Christ, the child of God, and an inheritor of the kingdom of heaven. First Peter 1 verse 3 and 4 and a few other verses speaks of the inheritance which is reserved in heaven for all believers let's read those verses 1 Peter 1 verse 3 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honour and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. What a wonderful inheritance Peter is showing we have those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ which this baby is getting as well at baptism but how does Peter say it all comes about blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again by being born again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are guaranteed this inheritance by being born again. No, the Catechism says we receive that inheritance through baptism. And this is what the Catechism teaches children in schools and in churches. It also states, incidentally, when they're talking about what they call sacraments, how many are there, and it says two only, which are generally necessary to salvation, that is to say, baptism and supper of the Lord. Not right. Now, read these for yourself. Do not take my word for it. Now I want to just turn for a few moments to the Book of Common Prayer again. The ministration of public baptism of infants to be used in the church. It commences. Dearly beloved, for as much as all men are conceived and born in sin, and that our Saviour Christ saith, none can enter the kingdom of God except he be regenerate and born anew of water and of the Holy Ghost. I beseech you to call upon God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ that of his bounteous mercy he will grant to this child that thing which by nature he cannot have that he may be baptized with water and the Holy Ghost and receive into Christ's holy church and be made a lively member of the same. 
we see that with this opening prayer, the reference is to water and the spirit. And the water herein referred speaks of baptism. Let's look at one of the next prayers. Almighty ever-living God, whose most dearly beloved Son, Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins, did shed out of his most precious side water and blood, and gave commandment to his disciples that they should go, teach all nations, and baptize them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Regard, we beseech thee, the supplications of thy congregation. Sanctify this water to the mystical washing away of sin. And grant that this child, now to be baptized therein, may receive the fullness of thy grace and ever remain in the number of thy faithful and elect children through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Jesus gave commandment to his disciples. This is good teaching. That they should go teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. As it says in that prayer. But Jesus gave an order or sequence in the passage in Matthew when he gave the Great Commission. He said, go and teach all nations, make disciples of all nations. And then he says, when you've made disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And then Jesus adds, which is not in that prayer, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Go and teach all nations. And in Luke, the same thought is there, Jesus said, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations. Go and teach all nations, teaching them that repentance and remission of sins is the first thing in making disciples. Then go and baptize them, and then teach them the doctrines and rudiments of the church. We must stick to the order of Scripture. Teach them, make disciples, then baptize them, and then encourage them and bring them forward in their discipleship. And then look further at this prayer. Sanctify this water to the mystical washing away of sin. Sanctify this water. What does that mean? We used to have a vicar here in this area who spoke to the children of holy water in the font. Now in Catholic Ireland we were familiar with the concept of holy water. But I may be wrong. 
Where in Scripture, in the New Testament, do we read of anything like this? And a prayer made to God, as we see here, based on no Bible teaching whatsoever. Now we haven't time to go into all this about lighting candles, sprinkling the water, making the sign of the cross, and all these other things made up by man. And then, of course, the vows made by God's parents. Not a thing in Scripture about it. Then we go on. Then we go on. Here's another prayer within that concept of the baptismal service. Seeing now, dearly beloved brethren, that this child is regenerate and grafted into the body of Christ's church, let us give thanks unto Almighty God for these benefits and with one accord make our prayers unto him that this child may lead the rest of his life according to this beginning. You know, it's significant that in this baptismal service there is no scripture given to actually back up the teaching of infant baptism. The feeble best is the reference to the time recorded in Mark and Luke when young children were brought to Jesus and he took them up in his arms and blessed them. When mothers of Salem their children brought Jesus, the stern disciples drove them back and bade them all depart. But Jesus saw them ere they fled and sweetly smiled and kindly said, Suffer little children to come unto me. A lovely story. These young children being brought to Jesus and him blessing them. But what has this to do with infant baptism? Nothing. We know that Jesus did not baptize anyone, but only his disciples, and certainly no babies. The way of salvation for all is by repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. But listen to this bit of man's reasoning and his attempt to persuade God to go against the plain teaching of Scripture as to how to be born again. Listen. Ye perceive how by this outward gesture and deed he, that is Jesus, declared his good will toward them for he embraced them in his arms, he laid his hands upon them and blessed them. That's right. How often do godly parents bring their children before the throne of grace, asking God to bless them in their school, in their work, as they go out into the world, we pray for God's blessing upon them. But it goes on. Jesus lifted them up his arms and blessed them. Doubt ye not therefore, but earnestly believe that he will likewise favorably receive this present infant 
that he will embrace him with his arms of mercy, that he will give him the blessing of eternal life and make him partakers of his everlasting kingdom. Our children must repent, believe and accept Christ by faith. But they say, because Jesus lifted these children up in his arms and blessed them, we are twisting it to say that he will give him the blessing of eternal life and make him partakers of his everlasting kingdom. And then the following prayer. Wherefore we being thus persuaded of the good will of our heavenly father towards this infant declared by his son Jesus Christ. I don't know where they get that. And nothing doubting but that he favourably alloweth this charitable work of ours in bringing this infant to his holy baptism. Let us faithfully and devoutly give thanks unto him, that's unto God, and say, Almighty and everlasting Heavenly Father, we give thee humble thanks that thou hast vouchsafed to call us to the knowledge of thy grace and faith in thee. Increase this knowledge and confirm this faith in us evermore. Give thy Holy Spirit to this infant that he may be born again and be made an heir of everlasting salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who liveth and reigneth with thee and the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen. By such theology we have a baptized mass throughout Christendom all thinking they are Christians and churches where the believers and unbelievers are all accepted equally as members of the body of Christ. Am I exaggerating? Not true? Next time you're at a funeral service, just listen to it very, very carefully. May God help us all to follow the plain teaching of Scripture. He must be born from above. Let us cling to the teaching of the Bible. Not man's reasonableness or his thoughts. Cling to the Bible though all else be taken. Lose not its precepts so precious and pure. Souls that are sleeping its tidings awaken. Life from the dead and its promises sure. Cling to the Bible this jewel and treasure. Brings life eternal and saves fallen man. Surely its value no mortal can measure. Seek for its blessing, O soul, while you can. Lamp for the feet that in byways have wandered. Guide for the youth that will otherwise fall. Hope for the sinner whose life has been squandered. Staff for the aged and best book of all. Cling to the Bible. Cling to the Bible. Cling to the Bible, our lamp 
and our guide. Two final verses of scripture. Look them up. James 1.18 Of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Of whose will? Of God's will and of a minister baptizing the baby on earth? No. Of his own will begat he us we were born again, again of the will of God in accordance with the word of God. Peter, 1 Peter 1.23 Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. We used to sing this chorus, the word of God. I'm standing on the word of God. Tis the book our fathers fought for. Tis the book our fathers died for. The word of God. I'm standing on the word of God. Though the foes of the Lord may scorn his word. I'm standing on the word of God.